thank you so much everyone um for coming and welcome everyone uh, to science society and of course um a special welcome to you uh, dr young Bei. and uh, so that the audience gets to know you a little bit, um, I'll give a short introduction and then I'll hand it over to Victoria, who usually um, does the rest of the introduction in an interview kind of set setting, if, if that's okay. Okay. Perfect. So, um, uh, Dr. Bai, he's a professor in the Department of Physics at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, uh, where he and he's a, a theoretical particle physicist. Um, and he did his bachelor in science at the University of Science and Technology uh, in China, and then his PhD at Yale University. Um, and then he worked. Um, in 2007 at the Fermilab National Accelerator Laboratory um, and um, at, the, at the CLAC <laughs> Slack National Accelerator Laboratory and then um, starting in 2012 he then started working at the University of Wisconsin-Madison um, Wisconsin Medicine, and um, where he is now a full professor since 2021. And his research interests are theoretical particle physics and physics beyond the standard model, dark matter, and um, collider physics, um, cosmic rays, black hole, and early universe physics. And that's all sounds uh, very exciting to me all those fields so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this talk and this discussion also the interview so I'll hand it over to Victoria and thank you again thank you Katarina yes we are so excited um, to welcome you here and this is this topic it's it feels like um, you've got a mystery reveal waiting for us I, I would imagine everybody agrees. And so my question to you is, just to get a bit of background information, can you, can you think back in your life through, through childhood or anywhere that you feel that you sensed a particular connection to science? Maybe there is a spark that you sensed um, from something somebody shared with you, a, a parent or teacher or any anyone in your life or or maybe just an event yeah i think the again i think probably uh i can remember which is like a hawking hawking has a very popular book about a history of the time history of time and that kind of motivated me a lot about uh, um, pursuing uh, about pursuing science in general um but in general, when I was a child and also like a middle school, high school, I pretty uh, good at uh, math. And uh, so at that time, I'm not sure whether I should, should uh, um, pursue math or physics. Uh, it's not clear. But I think uh, somehow around the high school, I kind of uh, uh, very into uh, into science and also kind of determined uh, to do uh, to do science after for, for as a career, basically. Um, 
yeah, that uh, history of the uh, history of time by Hawking, I think that's probably the more fascinating book uh, to attract me to keep uh, physics in mind uh, as always. And uh, even nowadays, I, I think I also uh, probably will uh, ask my my daughters to to read that book as well. So that's that's pretty much how how um yeah one 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 uh motivation I can remember. Yeah. That's really a wonderful answer. Also because I can imagine maybe one day somebody asking your daughters the same question, <laughs> and then they could look back. Well, the encouragement from my father <laughs> in these books it is. An incredible book. Um, so can you, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for you that you had the choice um, that you, that you were favoring physics and that you could follow that path since that's, that was, you said that was what you did favor. And right. yeah, so can you, can you um, share with us how you came to be working on the project that you're going to share with us today? Oh, yes. So, so this one, this specific topic I'm talking about today is a little bit on the speculation type direction. Um, but in general, I'm working on trying to understand that, uh, what is the identity of dark matter in general, and um, and uh, then working on some specific, uh, very very heavy, um, very very large size dark matter model, uh, and. Uh, then if you get into very extreme limit, then the dark matter could be very, very heavy, could be Planck, uh, sorry, could be plan, um, planet mass or even like a star mass. Um, even before this project, I already have like a few, probably a few projects uh, along this general direction. And uh, so um, then we thought, uh, even though it may not be uh, high, Possibility, but we thought like maybe we should uh, not take a, uh, take it as granted uh, to think about uh, all the discovered or detected exoplanets are made of ordinary planets or ordinary matter. Maybe there are some uh, possibility some uh, exoplanets they may be made of uh, dark matter. Especially we 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 in the last few years we we are studying some other dark matter models. We know that uh, some models they could have dark matter. Um, state uh, to be very very heavy and uh, very very sizable and uh, so so that's kind of the the very uh, in some sense it's very natural for us to 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 think about uh, performing this study actually um, yeah but on the other hand I also want to even even say say that at the beginning is very uh, speculated uh, and so um, probably the probability for uh, for the current uh, like uh, earth size or jupiter size exoplanets they are made of dark matter is not very high um, but uh, still we want to uh, to want to check this possibility to know whether it's true or not so it sounds like it just made sense and here you are you know in the scheme of the universe showing up right here right now with with your interests and your background and so it's your turn to to work on this subject yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and and you know reveal it to us so okay well thank you and at this point i will um just say the mic is yours and we're here to help with questions that friends may put in the chat 
we can share those with you. And then if it's okay with you to have a Q&A following your talk, then we can bring guests, um, friends up as well to do that. So otherwise the yes. mic is yours. Thank you. Okay. Uh, just one question. So how do I go through the slides? Should I just say that uh, like uh, the uh, slides page number one or? Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So because everyone will open the PDF, or will open the, the PDF file. Okay, I get it. Okay. Cool. Uh, okay, so yeah, let's uh, start with uh, uh, page number. Yeah, basically, basically the first page, right? So just trying to, trying to thanks for the invitation. So I'm very happy to talk about uh, like um, um, dark exoplanets as the topic and also. Uh, some recent paper uh, on archive. So the second page, which is uh, my collaborators, and uh, one is my student, one is my postdoc worked with me before, and uh, we have been keep thinking about uh, uh, the mysteries behind the dark matter. And uh, there is an archive number. Um, you can you can you can check, and uh, if you want to read more about uh, the paper, and as well as uh, uh, some references, which is some references maybe. Maybe it'll be useful, and depends on your background. And uh, um, so, okay. But I, but for this talk, I will try to try to make it a little bit more pedagogic and trying uh, to probably not just only talk about the exoplanet, but uh, just give you a general sense how how we think about uh, the mysteries behind the dark matter. Okay, page three. So as what I said, probably I first give. Uh, everyone a little bit more general uh, physics. Um, a few slides about uh, general physics. First, I use like a matter, right? Because I, I was a uh, main research direction is about a dark matter. So we first uh, uh, trying to understand the ordinary matter. So uh, just in case you forgot that the ordinary matter is made of atoms, atoms is made of nucleus, nucleus is made of uh, protons and uh, neutrons. And if you look at the inside of the protons, they are made of quarks and gluon. Um, but however, in the in nature, we don't have a free quarks. Uh, the quarks uh, and the gluons they are always stay inside the proton. And uh, uh, sometimes, if you heard of the word, and uh, we know that uh, there is uh, some kind of a combining. In a sense, what is the force to combine quarks together? That is a so-called uh, strong dynamics or quantum chromodynamics. Um, so that is the force to hold them together such that the, there is no free quark can come out of a proton. And uh, so they they just uh, stuck there and uh, forever. Um, okay, so other than matter, so now to get uh, into page four, um, we also have uh, some interactions or some forces uh, to for those uh, uh, matters interact with each other. So we so far we observed the forces. There are four kinds of forces in nature. So one is the electromagnetic force. That's uh, well known because uh, uh, the light and the sunshine, all kinds of things, um, cable, and that is uh, related to the electromagnetic force. Um, and uh, another. Another force, which is a gravitational force, which everybody feel. So that's the uh, planet uh, or specifically the Earth moving around the sun. So that is the gravitational force. I will I also explain, um, maybe get into more about the gravitational force, which is a little bit more relevant for today's uh, talk. 
and uh, but there are other two forces they are not uh, probably not familiar with uh, for you guys uh, one is so-called weak force which is um, uh, trying to describe uh, sometimes we call it a beta decay some radioactive decay uh, uh, for example what uh, this symbol is n n stands for neutron p stands for proton e minus stands for electron and the new e that uh, new e bar that means that is anti-neutrino so basically this is uh, trying to describe the neutron decay to proton plus the electron sometimes electron we call it a beta beta particle and the uh, and the anti-neutrino so that kind of interaction how the uh, neutron decay is described by weak force so the last one which is a so-called strong force which i was uh, uh, mentioning uh, uh, in the previous slide, which is uh, the force to hold the quarks together inside a proton. And this force, I will also come back, which I will kind of use this force as one possible uh, analog force in the dark matter sector. And to think about that, maybe the dark matter sector has a similar story. Um, so so just uh, just uh, trying to yeah, remind you that uh, there are four observed forces. Uh, in nature, and uh, uh, there are lots of fascinating, fascinating questions about uh, all those forces. Um, for example, uh, even the electromagnetic force, weak force, and a strong force, at a very high temperature or high scale, they could become a, a one common force. That's why we are called by the unified theory to group the all those three forces together. And uh, and also it's possible like um, all those four forces they could become a single one uh, if uh, there is a quantum gravity theory and uh, with the string theory to be the most popular quantum gravity theory behind that. So so there are lots of uh, interesting fundamental things uh, um, theoretical uh, physicists they are trying to understand and uh, behind those forces. Okay, but let's continue into the uh, page five. So this um, is what we know about uh, how to describe uh, the visible universe uh, to some extent. The so-called uh, particle, particles of the standard model. And uh, so there are some, uh, for example, the upper one, like a UCTDSB, there's just uh, some uh, quarks. So U stands for up quark, C stands for charm quark, T stands for top quark, D stands for down quark. And S stands for strange quark, B stands for beauty or bottom quark. So you can see that uh, um, there are six kinds of quarks. And uh, on the lower green color, that is leptons. Then you have a electron, which is ordinary life. We know that. Um, but uh, then there is a heavy lepton or heavy uh, electron. If you think about it, there is muon and the tau, as well as three kinds of neutrino. Then there is uh, uh, on the blue color, that is a gauge boson, we have a photon, which is uh, trying to describe electromagnetic interaction. Then we have a little g, that stands for gluon, which is uh, the strong force uh, mediator. Then there is w and z, they are mediator of the weak force. In the center, we have this uh, little bit more famous uh, Higgs boson. And if you pay attention to the uh, news, probably you already noticed that uh, uh, around 10 years ago, 2012, um, the Higgs boson get discovered. As a result, we have a little bit of complete story um, for the this so-called standard model, and uh, to describe the uh, visible matter. And uh, okay, so continue. 
Um, now let's let's uh, the uh, get to next page, page six. Let me mention a little bit more about uh, this gravitational interaction, which is uh, uh, probably even simpler uh, without uh, like a general relativity. Uh, we just talk about uh, like Newton's law, for example. So this one probably it's easy to describe using a little bit of formula, but I will pro I will promise like I will not show too many uh, formulas in this talk. Uh, so you can think about it, there is a two-body system trying to understand the gravitational interaction. Um, the first one is uh, uh, you can have some planet moving around the sun in the middle, for example, right? So to describe that, then there is some rotating velocity of the planet around the sun. And we could use the uh, code code centrifugal force, which is on the left side, mv square over r equals to the gravitational force, which is G times little m capital M. Little m is the planet mass. The capital M is the star mass divided by r square, which is the distance of the planet to the uh, to the star. This G is a Newton constant. Using this uh, simple equation, uh, uh, you can derive what is the velocity, which is the square root of G times m over square root of r. So it just tells you that um, uh, if you fix the center mass, then you anticipate the velocity is going down when you increase the distance between the planet and the, uh, and the, and the sun, and the star, for example. So what does this mean? That means uh, you, you think about our solar system, right? So you say, oh, there's some Jupiter, there is Earth, then the, basically uh, the uh, Jupiter is farther away from the sun. Um, so that means its rotating velocity will be smaller compared to the uh, Earth's rotating velocity. Right? But one interesting thing is, uh, uh, is uh, you when you uh, when you, you you if you pretend that you don't see the middle star, right? Suppose the star for some reason you didn't say that. For example, in in the nighttime, right? Suppose you don't see the star, but you still have the Earth rotating around the sun. So, so basically, the physics uh, law should be independent of whether you can say by the, the the center mass it's there or not. You uh, even though you you cannot suppose the star does not emit a photon, but uh, but still it uh, provides a gravitational uh, uh, poten potential or gravitational force. The star the planet still will move around the star in the, the center mass. So. So that uh, that means that we get into the next um, um, slide, page seven. Um, so in principle, we can let me change a little bit of story. We can go to a little bit larger size. We can think about a galaxy, and uh, so then in the galaxy we have a uh, like a, a 10, 10 billion, hundred billion stars, and uh, you potentially you can observe those stars. You can measure its. Uh, Velocity, in a sense, their velocity around the galactic, uh, galactic center. That velocity you potentially uh, can can say, oh, depends on the different location of the star from the center. Then you can collecting a bunch of data about uh, this uh, rotating curve, so for example, uh, or in some sense, the velocity of those stars as a function um, uh, of the cent of the distance to the center. So like, uh, like what we mentioned previously, right, Newton dynamics, uh, your Kepler law, for example, you anticipated the velocity is one over square root of r. And, uh, um, okay, 
So next, uh, uh, next the slide, and uh, now you can, uh, which is page eight. Now you can see that uh, oh, I have a, I, I collecting data, so I can um, measure one galaxy. This is a specific some nearby galaxy M thirty three. You can observe what is the velocity of those stars around the center of the galaxy, and you collecting data, which is the blue, sorry, which is the yellow, uh, dotted points. So um, then you realize that somehow um, somehow the the velocity as a function of the, uh, of r capital R right previously we say that uh, if you suppose if it's all the mass is concentrated in the center we should anticipate uh, the velocity decreases as you go um, far away from the center right which you anticipate uh, uh, going down um, so basically if you think about uh, uh, I only see the visible mice, or the all the mice is coming from visible light, for example, then you should anticipate to see this kind of dashed line. And uh, at a uh, little bit far away from the center of the galaxy, you should anticipate the velocity going down. But I actually observe the one which is the um, solid line uh, from the feet and also those um, data points, right? But you can see that you don't see uh, the velocity, the velocity uh, decreases as a function for um, capital R uh, away from the visible center. So in some sense, that uh, give um, uh, earlier evidence that uh, uh, some galaxy, there are some missing matter. Those missing matter, they're not visible. What we mean visible means uh, they don't emit uh, light. And uh, uh, so they are different kinds of matter. Right? And uh, so that's why early time people uh, measure this, they could go to discover, uh, discover the existence of dark matter. So go to next page, um, page nine. And uh, so not just trying to demonstrate that uh, the situation is not just one galaxy, but uh, there are many other galaxies. Probably now we have, um, I don't know, maybe um, more than 100 uh, galaxy uh, rotation curves when people can reconstruct to show the similar behavior to give you the evidence that uh, there are dark matter in existence uh, in galaxy. And uh, this is, uh, for example, some uh, earlier curves by Sophie and uh, Ruby and uh, to uh, measure the rotation uh, rotation curves. Okay, uh, next the slide, uh, um, page 10. In principle, there should be more evidence about the existence of dark matter. So here I just uh, uh, show another way, another way to know the existence of uh, um, dark matter, which is so-called gravitational lensing. So what on this plot is, uh, um, so first uh, you have a, a telescope, which is on the left uh, lower corner, which is Earth, right? So that's a telescope. And uh, you have some galaxy uh, on the other side, which you, you can think about that is a source. And in between, there is uh, potentially some other um, galaxies, for example, and uh, they are they both almost like a lens. And uh, so what's going on here is uh, there are light coming from the background um, source. And uh, the light, because the light carry, carry energy, and uh, so this requires a little bit of general relativity. So the light will be bent, uh, will be bent by, um, by the gravitational well uh, of the lens. As a result, you will see multiple images uh, on, the, on your screen. <laughs> If you think about that, the source is uh, has some screen, you will see multiple 
uh, image and uh, and uh, then by by like uh, unfold uh, this kind of image properties uh, then you can infer how much uh, um, how much matter in the lens and uh, you can also use that to measure how much uh, dark matter uh, existence in between the um, source and the, and the telescope. So this is another uh, gravitational lensing way. And later on, we will talk about uh, like uh, exoplanet. Uh, indeed, uh, the gravitational lensing is uh, an one of the method to detect uh, exoplanet. OK, so continue. And uh, there are another evidence. I think there are tons of evidence nowadays about the existence of dark matter. And this one is like uh, the image after the like bullet cluster cleansing. So you can basically think about that there are two uh, clusters, um, galaxy clusters. They they are they. This is image after they meet, passing through each other, and uh, then you can see that there are two kinds of colors. One is the red color. One is the blue color. Um, blue color you can using similar to that gravitational lens this is the total mass because the mass will source graph well that can bend and light so that is uh, the total the majority of the mass of those of those uh, two systems and the the red color is uh, the so-called x-ray part and uh, that is the mainly the visible matter sets and uh, this image is a little bit more dynamic to uh, specifically show that uh, you do have two kinds of matter uh, for those uh, two galaxy clusters and, and uh, the dark matter is mainly hung around uh, uh, this uh, blue color region and the uh, ordinary matter around the red color region. So you, you have a little bit more visualized ways to see the existence of uh, dark matter. Okay, so, but there are other ways. For example, there is a Planck satellite. They are, uh, measuring the so-called uh, uh, cosmic microwave background, and uh, um, by looking at those uh, same so-called SMB, and look at the data map and uh, to analyze the correlation from one region of the sky to another region of the sky, we can also quantitatively measure the so-called energy budget of the our universe, which is probably the, in some sense, the bigger picture about our universe, what uh, what's going on. Um, so there is a, most of the energy in our universe is so-called dark energy. And dark energy also related to the cosmological constant, uh, which is uh, in the current universe, which is uh, help the uh, universe um, accelerate the expansion. Um, but there are other two parts, which you can say that dark matter occupy a little bit even larger fraction than ordinary matter. and. Uh, um, so if we just look at the matter pie of the our universe, in sense we need a side of dark energy. So that's another very mysterious uh, part, and uh, physicists are st still study the property of the dark energy. But uh, suppose we just uh, look at the matter pie of our universe, you can see that uh, the dark matter will uh, occupy bigger fractions than ordinary matter. The ratio maybe is around five point something, and uh, around five that ratio. So basically, we have more dark matter in the current universe than ordinary matter. Um, so, uh, so that's in some sense that's the one of the biggest uh, uh, research direction I'm kind of uh, conducting is trying to understand what is uh, behind the dark matter. 
so why is that? Because uh, if you go to Lexter page, uh, should it be page 14 now? And uh, uh, so for the ordinary matter, like what we were talking about at the beginning, there are four forces. There is a standard model. There is all kinds of uh, particles. Quarks, lepton, the gauge boson, photon, the gluon, W, and the Z gauge boson, for example, standard model Higgs boson. Um, but at this moment, we don't have a, a kind of a, what I say, like a, we don't have any confirmed explanation what is behind the dark matter part. And uh, so dark matter could be as complicated as the visible part, which is the standard model. Um, it could be maybe contain many particles, maybe contain uh, also different uh, kinds of forces, maybe has its own dark uh, electromagnetism or, or dark QCD, for example. Uh, and another thing is like, we also don't know how the dark matter sector interacting with uh, our visible sector or our standard model particles, for example, uh, except that we know that uh, Dark matter, they, they are matter, so they have a gravitational interaction with uh, standard model particles. So that's pretty much uh, the only thing we know about uh, dark matter. And we also know that they, they don't carry they don't carry electromagnetic charge, and uh, otherwise it's much easier to notice their existence. So they are a little bit uh, dark, means uh, they may not uh, carry sizable interactions under electromagnetic force weak force and uh, uh, strong, or, or standard model strong force. So that's a big mystery. Okay, so along that mystery, if we go to the next uh, um, page, page 15, um, so then I don't know how long, probably we have like a, uh, over 50 years of uh, uh, after um, astrophysicists or uh, astronomer uh, uses a rotating uh, rotation curve to demonstrate the existence of a dark matter, and uh, maybe more than forty years, uh, fifty years, we have a thinking about what is the uh, underlying model behind the dark matter, but we don't have a clue. So here, I just give you a sense um, what is a little bit incomplete list. Uh, so because there are so many um, theoretical models behind uh, or as a candidate to explain dark matter. So if we go to the heavy side, we could have this BPH that stands for primordial black hole. So like uh, you probably noticed that in the last few years, there is a LIGO um, merger of a black hole merger, right? So but, uh, that, uh, that is like astrophysical black hole. So we have two, uh, two types of black hole. One is astrophysical black hole, one is uh, maybe the primordial black hole. Yeah. So primordial black hole, Earlier time, like uh, people thought that maybe a possible dark matter candidate, but now it's uh, uh, there's still some possibility, mm, but uh, people are still working on that direction. And another one, which is a so-called dark quark logit, dark, uh, which I will mention it in more detail, use that as example. And then, then there are some other things, the various of new new type of stars. Uh, this one is like called axion star, and uh, just uh, some other uh, specific uh, particles. So they may be uh, can get heavy and form some star. And, uh, but if we lower the mass, um, so here, uh, what I'm, what I'm plotting is the log 10 of the dark matter mass, uh, over EV. So this is a little bit, a non-trivial unit in particle physics. We use EV, GEV. Maybe I give you a little bit of orientation. So there is a M Planck, which is a Planck mass scale. 
the Planck mass scale, uh, I think it's around 10 to minus 4 gram. Basically, this number 20, that is 10 to minus 4 gram. So that's like a routine life uh, sets, uh, uh, sets around the, that, uh, uh, that mass. Okay. Uh, but then you can, um, below the Planck mass, you have sometimes uh, called a WIMP. Uh, weakly in interacting massive particle. Then there is ADM. ADM stands for uh, like a asymmetric dark matter model, which is uh, predicted that the dark matter mass could be around like a proton mass or neutron mass. And uh, below that, then there is a little bit more uh, called axion, which is another very, very little bit lighter and uh, um, uh, rough. Uh, like a 10 to minus 11, 10 orders magnet or 11 orders magnet lower than the electron mass, for example. And even lower than that, there are some called fuzzy dark matter, and there are probably there are many names you probably never heard of. Uh, but I just give you uh, a test uh, of what uh, uh, theorists are kind of proposing. So uh, some models they have a, a various of different uh, motivations for for why we are thinking there are some uh, non-zero possibility. Maybe dark matter uh, is uh, has mass like that. Okay, so let me continue. Go to the next page, uh, which is page sixteen. Um, so one specific uh, dark matter models I want to talk about is a microscopic dark matter model. Uh, the motivation is the uh, following: when we look at uh, the ordinary matter, right, in the our routine life. So I mean, there are all kinds of uh, matters, but we obviously we don't say electron by directly. We don't say quarks directly. We don't say proton directly. Right. We saw, we basically say routine enough, we just say some, uh, some bigger ordinary, like a microscopic object, basically. Uh, so, so think about it in that way. Uh, one way I kind of motiva motivates um, myself to think about um, dark matter is like uh, maybe, maybe the first uh, impression or the first way we detect the dark matter is also like a, it's a microscopic uh, property. So what I mean is like, a, which is like the slide of uh, page 17, is uh, maybe dark matter is also can be, uh, even though there may be some underlying uh, dynamics or some underlying constituents, but uh, but maybe the first impression we can see or even detect the dark matter is, is they are in some composite state. And uh, uh, which we can call just uh, in this talk, I'll call it the microscopic dark matter, for example. So maybe we can first say like a, a dark uh, table, for example, and uh, as the first uh, impression, we, we detect the dark matter. Um, so here I just want to say that uh, uh, indeed uh, there are some uh, uh, models and uh, we can we can study. Uh, we could have a uh, the dark matter state, you know, since the dark matter could be in various uh, possible states, like ordinary matter. Um, so, for example, the ordinary matter, you could have some uh, uh, nucleus. Uh, uh, if you think about uh, what is the baryon number, right? So the main setting uh, in in nucleus. Uh, but you also can have a free neutron, free proton, for example. And uh, so similarly, uh, maybe energetically, uh, in some classes of models, you could have a dark number, mainly setting in some microscopic dark matter state. And, uh, so that's one poss possibility. And uh, uh, so so here, go to the next slide, 18. So here I just a uh, little bit uh, talk about one specific uh, 
model, I, uh, probably a little bit too complicated if you are not uh, study uh, physics. Uh, so here, but I, I still can 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 use the ordinary matter to give you a sense. Uh, this is particular dark quark matter. What uh, what it looks like. So ordinary matter, right? We have a, a nucleon which is a proton and a neutron, and uh, so that is uh, we can call it uh, that hydron state. So the hydron state, uh, the uh, the hydrons is in one specific phase of QCD, which we call it confined phase. Um, but uh, even in the ordinary matter or in, in QCD in our standard model, um, the, there could be another type of uh, matter, quark matter, so-called quark matter, which is uh, you could be, uh, the QCD could be unconfined in a sense it's in a different phase. It's basically, you can think about, oh, there is some states, uh, they may be in the water phase, some uh, in the ice uh, ice phase, for example, if I use the water and the ice uh, as one example, and uh, uh, energetically it depends on um, the external parameters you could face is preferred uh, or one state is preferred versus another state. Right? And, uh, similarly, if I'm thinking about uh, uh, just the analog to the ordinary hydron or ordinary quark and the QCD, quantum chromodynamics, I can think about it like maybe there is similar, there is a dark uh, uh, dark QCD, for example, there is dark quark. And uh, the dark quark, they could be also um, can have two types of uh, states. One state is dark hydron and one state could be dark quark matter state, for example. All right, this is, uh, again, this is a hypothetical. Uh, theory, but I thought uh, it's very reasonable because uh, our ordinary matter is ma mainly made of uh, uh, proton, neutron, or nucleus, and uh, electron, right? But the the main mass of our um, our proton and neutron comes from QCD, come from a strong interaction, basically. So that's why uh, maybe the dark uh, sector is also has a similar dark QCD, for example. So there maybe there is a dark hydron and a dark quark matter, for example. So that's kind of the uh, one kind of extension and the one analog ways to think about a dark sector uh, in terms of our existence, uh, existing knowledge of visible matter. Okay, so now getting into the next page, um, page 19. So here is the so-called phase diagram of dark QCD. And uh, obviously we should also have the similar phase diagram for ordinary QCD, right? So what are we are plotting here? And on the right side, sorry, on the x-axis, horizontal axis, that's so-called chemical potential. Roughly speaking, you can think about that is how dense of the object is uh, or the lumber density. And on the y-axis or the uh, vertical axis, that's a temperature. So what are, what are we plotting here? So <coughs> we're plotting that uh, there could be a phase transition when you lower the temperature, right? When we lower the temperature, water will become ice, right? And uh, similarly here, when you lower the temperature, uh, some uh, high temperature phase, which we can call it a dark quark gluon plasma phase, that can become dark hydronic matter phase. So then there is a two type of phase. And there is unconfined phase on the high temperature. There is a confined phase on the low temperature. There may be a phase boundary. There may be first order phase transition to separate uh, and the, uh, the, those two types of phases. And uh, 
Um, so this this can happen. Then uh, for given theory or dark QCD dynamics, we can analyze what's the property, what is the uh, orders of the phase transition, and the, what is the dark quark matter property. And in general, those things can be uh, estimated or calculated, for example. So here, I just want to say, uh, it depends on specific number of color, which is uh, uh, just uh, depends on specific model parameters. So the dark quark matter could be uh, the preferred state for some uh, dark QCD model. Okay. Uh, okay, so this is just I, what I'm telling you is that uh, uh, in some analog to our uh, strong dynamics QCD sector, there could be some dark QCD sector and there is a dark quark matter. And uh, there are some uh, maybe phase diagram for the dark quark matter. And uh, um, when you go to the next page, page 20, uh, then you can think about it like our universe at a very high temperature, at a very early universe, the temperature could be very hot. Uh, could be very high, and uh, then you can almost think of like a boiling water, and uh, then there is you cool down, then you could have a, some uh, bubble to be formed, and to describe, for example, the first order phase transition, for example. So go to next. Uh, so here I just give you a little bit of sense um, what will happen. So next page twenty one. So you maybe have some critical temperature for separate those two type of phases, but temperature very high. And here we use red color. That means that uh, uh, you have the so-called uh, the uh, in the quark dark quark uh, gluon gluon plasma phase. So basically, you think about there are some quarks, there are gluons. They are in they are not uh, not uh, not in the hydron states. So they are just freely moving because temperature is very hot. You can think about that proton, the neutron, they are melted. Uh, so, uh, but as you as you lower the temperature, which is next slide, page 22, uh, when the temperature is comparable to this code, uh, critical temperature, then then the bubble, the hydrogen bubble, uh, can be formed. Uh, once it's formed, and also it's preferred for that region. And uh, and so those bubbles will grow. And they grow, So which is this blue color. So the blue color, which means that you can almost think about it when you, uh, when you cool down, then there is ice. Uh, phase, so the ice phase starts to grow, and uh, um, so that will try to occupy uh, more more volume. Um, and uh, go to the next uh, uh, slide, which is slide twenty three. And those hydron bubbles they will grow, and eventually they will overlap. And uh, then there are some overlap region and corner. Then that will be the corner. You maybe still have that kind of unconfining phase, which is a red color. And to be to stay there. So now, once the blue color occupy majority of the uh, of the volume, we can turn around, and we can turn around and to think about that. Oh, now the universe is mainly in this uh, confining phase, and uh, but however, those squeezed um, by those hydrogen bubble, the small corner of the red color. So they maybe have some uh, uh, quarks uh, constituents to or dark quarks uh, constituents to be squeezed in a small pocket. And those pocket maybe will be will be hung around there, and they they prefer uh, to be holded there. Then they 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 can balance uh, this kind of vacuum pressure and uh, or the, by this hydron phase, and uh, and uh, they maybe have some degenerate Fermi pressure to balance that, uh, and uh, so therefore they can hang around there and uh, hang around there. This will be one 
um, one possible ways we can form this kind of uh, dark quark luggage and as one potential microscopic uh, dark matter state. Okay, so this is just uh, I just to demonstrate uh, one possible ways uh, you can form microscopic dark matter, but obviously there are some other ways uh, which we can form them in the early universe. Okay, let's like slide uh, slide twenty five. So I just give you some uh, um, parameters of the uh, dark quark luggage mass, which is in the vertical axis, uh, versus some different dark diffusivity phase transition temperature. So basically, you go to lower temperature, you will generate a bigger, heavier dark quark luggage. And uh, so here, the vertical axis is in gram. So you could even generate like a 10 to 24 uh, gram, for example. So just to remind you, like uh, um, the sun is uh, 10 to uh, uh, 33, and uh, so this will be like a 10 mass is lower than the uh, solar mass. But uh, after you initially form those uh, um, dark quark luggage, in principle, uh, there could be also later evolution as the universe cool down, and uh, the dark quark luggage, maybe they can uh, meet uh, other uh, free dark uh, hydrons. They maybe uh, absorb them, they can grow their mass. So there is the uh, follow-up dynamics potentially can grow the dark quark luggage to let them become heavier and heavier, for example. And, uh, so then also we, we did perform some calculation for that. Okay, so now after I said that, so here uh, 25, and so basically I give you some uh, possible dark uh, microscopic dark matter model as well as its formation. In general, you could form and uh, their mice could be, uh, can be microscopic mice like uh, uh, maybe get a closer to planet mice, for example. So now, obviously, now next the question is how do we search for um, micro microscopic dark matter model, which is like the slide 26. So the first thing you want to do is uh, you those dark matter because they are dark, they may not ha have any other like electromagnetic interaction with uh, with visible matter. But however, they they are matter, so therefore they can still uh, have the gravitational interaction. So one way is this kind of gravi gravitational lensing, right? So which I already mentioned a little bit uh, when we talk about the dark matter evidence. But uh, what we are showing here, even though uh, you have Earth and you have some star, uh, the telescope on the Earth, and uh, then you have the, some black here, the so-called uh, object, uh, dark matter object is black hole, but also applied to microscopic dark matter because the only relevant is the total mass. And uh, so when, when you have this, uh, um, this uh, um, dark matter object uh, uh, passing in between the star and the, the telescope. And uh, if their mass is large, then they potentially can make the star brighter. This is uh, um, uh, the micro lensing effect. So this is, to some extent, uh, this is the best way, um, more universal way uh, for us to look for a microscopic dark matter model. Okay, so next slide, um, page uh, 27. Uh, which is uh, just, uh, um, there are some experiments, a uh, uh, few experiments, they are looking for microlensing events. And uh, for example, this HSC is a Shubaru, there are some uh, Oka and uh, Eros macho. And uh, here, what uh, we are plotting is the uh, dark uh, microscopic here, we just use the symbol dark macho, but it's equivalent to the um, microscopic dark matter model. Uh, different masses and also the y-axis is a different radius. And uh, so the dark quark luggage I was talking about, so that is the uh, the 
like a crossing uh, lines to give you a guidance. So here, just to give you a sense, if if those objects they can uh, account for hundred percent dark matter, then they're the they they should be uh then you already re requiring their mass. For example, if you start crack nuggets, require uh they are uh, for example um above uh or below certain mass, uh, for example, and uh. So we can use those those micro lensing to to search for uh, microscopic dark matter. Okay, next slide. Now I get into the <laughs> real topic, uh, but uh, which is exoplanets now, right? So uh, page twenty eight. So as you can see that uh, uh, people are also looking for the exoplanets. The there are many ways to search for exoplanets. So the the most uh, popular one, which is the first uh, on the uh, on the first. Uh, uh, row and the first uh, panel, which is a so-called transit uh, photometry, uh, which is you have the planet block the uh, starlight, for example. So then you can see that the brightness of the star will have a little bit of drop, tiny little bit of drop, depends on the radius square of the planet over the radius uh, square of the star. Then you have some relative drop. Usually that drop is tiny. Is like a 10 to minus 3 or 10 to even 10 to minus 4 level. So you have a tiny change of the brightness of the star. There are some other things like transit uh, timing variation. Let me ignore in that. And uh, on the lower row, you have a radial velocity. Basically, you have the uh, planet uh, uh, moving around the star. The star has a little bit of wobbling. And uh, so that wobbling uh, in the in the radial direction, which is the, which is the direction uh, uh, to the distance uh, to the um, to the telescope, and uh, because that uh, that distance uh, radio distance change will change the star light wavelength. This is a so-called Doppler effect, and uh, so you could uh, in one 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 part you will say the wavelength is lower, and uh, which is the blue color. Uh, Showing up here, and in the other part, maybe the wavelength will be higher, which is a red color, for example. And uh, so, so that is one way you. But this this radial velocity, you can only measure the exoplanet mass. Then you cannot measure its uh, uh, its size, and uh, because this is just pure gravitational effect. Okay. Um, but for the trans transit photometry, and you can. Because you 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 see the image right, so you know the radius. Then you can potentially measure the the radius of the uh, exoplanet. And the microlensing uh, continuum microlensing we already mentioned, and uh, you can have a little bit of additional spike on the um, on the light curve uh, of the star uh, from the microlensing. Then there is astrometry. Astrometry again similar uh, similar to the radial velocity the then you can you can have the location of the star also changing and doing this kind of a, a star position changing uh, in the sky over time and as a way you can notice the existence of there is another uh, planet surrounding or moving around of the star and uh, changing its uh, position like uh, this specific way. The last one, which is direct imaging, which is which very simple. You have a starlight and it. Hit the exoplanet and reflected, and uh, then you just direct the image of that. And uh, this is a 
page 28. Now go to the next page, page 29. So this is uh, probably not updated, but it was on 19. I just found that like, this page, uh, it's very uh, uh, easy summary and about the different methods, um, how many exoplanets you observe. So again, the most of the exoplanets, they are observed by this uh, transit uh, light curve method, which is uh, around 3000 at that time, a few years ago. And uh, then there is a radio velocity, which is uh, sensitive to the uh, exoplanet mass, which is uh, uh, 870. Then some other uh, subdominant observation for using other methods. The astrometry, for example, observed the 10 at that time. And uh, But now we may have more uh, with Gaia data, another telescope. The astrometry could have more uh, observations. OK, so now. Uh, about the title of this talk, which is next page, page uh, 30. So which we're asking, um, how do we know that uh, those observed uh, uh, exoplanets, they are ordinary planets, or they are made of uh, dark matter, or which we can call it a dark exoplanets, for example. Right? So in our paper, we basically trying to think about uh, how, how, how we know, how, um, what would be the way, systematic way to, to notice so the simplest one, which we can easily check, which is the mass radius relation, because uh, there are some exoplanet you measure its uh, radius as well as its mass. So so that's those uh, data points about uh, observed exoplanets uh, on, on, on the mass and the radius relation. And you can look at this one. You can see that uh, indeed there are some interesting um, planet. Uh, I mean, this, this slide probably will help uh, astrophysicists uh, trying to, uh, or even astronomers trying to understand uh, how the planet is formed, uh, then you can easily see that uh, there are few kinds of uh, band. Then on the lower left corner, that is like a so-called rocky world, which is like Earth and uh, Venus sets. And then there are some transition points uh, like uh, Neptune and, uh, uh, and the Saturn, for example. And, uh, and uh, then there is a heavier mass, like a uh, above like 100 uh, Earth mass, which is a Jupiter uh, regime. And uh, there is more population um, because the, the, the United mass is heavier, the radius is large, so it's easier to measure. So there is also some uh, detection bias. So in principle, there could be also maybe more uh, smaller mass, smaller radius exoplanets, but it's just more difficult to be detected, for example. So look at this uh, distribution, right? So this is a uh, most of those uh, uh, observed exoplanets in this on this slide, they probably just ordinary planet. And uh, why? <laughs> because uh, you probably can have uh, some, uh, uh, ex or using ordinary physics, you pro um, potentially can model the exo uh, exoplanet mass radius relation to explain those. Uh, uh, this is scattering plots, for example. But however, if you do have uh, some other, which you have in kind of a uh, schematic. So if you observe some planet uh, which is on the either left upper corner or the left, uh, uh, sorry, right lower corner, then you very confidently, I think you can say that is a dark uh, exoplanet. Why? Because uh, uh, for example, in the uh, right lower corner, um, even you think about the planet is made of iron, which is probably the most dense elements. In, in terms of the visible matter, then you still cannot get into that uh, region. So therefore, observation of uh, any 
exoplanet uh, with mass heavier radius smaller, which means it's much more denser than iron, and uh, you you have no no doubt that it will be uh, something uh, something not ordinary matter, and uh, so that could be easily dark matter uh, or some uh, or some unknown stuff, right? No. So that's a, that's a probably the easiest way. And obviously, at the current moment, there is no 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 observed exoplanet populated in that uh, in that region. So 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 which means we cannot claim there is any dark exoplanet. Right? But this is the easiest way mass radius relation to to give us a hint about the existence of something non non ordinary or extraordinary exoplanet. Okay, next page 30, 31. Uh, another one which is uh, also kind of a simple and uh, which we that's why we didn't do uh, any detailed analysis, which is uh, spectroscopy. Right? If you think about what uh, exoplanet uh, uh, science in general, the people looking for another uh, um, uh, human being can uh, can live can live in those exoplanets, right? So uh, one way is they want to know the water right? existence H uh, H two O, and uh, so. With the latest um, James Webb Space Telescope, uh, and the people can um, have a little bit more space, uh, spectroscopy property of the planet as well as its atmosphere. What I'm showing here is uh, some specific atmosphere of the specific exoplanet, and uh, you can see that uh, then you you will have a uh, you can you can you can match to the uh, ordinary matter or, or those. Uh, uh, specific chemistry, what is the absorption line, for example, and uh, so that's where well, more well predicted and we're also well uh, measured, right? But if it's dark exoplanet, then you probably anticipate that you should not, you should have those uh, uh, spectral lines, absorption lines to be missing, or you will even have a dramatically different uh, lines, for example, and that would be the easiest way to to notice that you have something obviously not ordinary matter, but uh, for some reason, it's also same mass as uh, as uh, exoplanet. So this is spectroscopy is probably the second easiest way to notice uh, something something different from an ordinary exoplanet. So the next uh, page, which is uh, page thirty two, another little bit uh, not uh, so immediately obvious, which is so called missing transit. Right. So the missing transit. Uh, so what I, what uh, we're plotting here is. Uh, um, if I'm thinking about a dark matter, most likely dark matter will not interacting with ordinary matter by uh, by photon or by light. So in some sense, more most likely the dark, uh, even though there is some dark planet or dark exoplanet, so they probably will be more transparent to light to starlight. So in sense, if you have the transient, so they 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 will not block the starlight. They will be they will not change the starlight and. Uh, However, uh, you have some other methods to uh, to study the property of exoplanet. For example, you can have the radio velocity, which I also mentioned, right? So we say, which is a planet around the star, and uh, the star is wavelength, and then you you will change the frequency of the uh, of wavelength of the starlight, and uh, as a way to measure. So that will, will be sensitive to uh, to the mass of the exoplanet. And then another, which is altrometry, for example, so they can also give you additional uh, orbiting information. Combining of that, they can uh, give you the orbiting information. If you completely determine the orbiting information of the planet, exoplanet moving around the star, 
if you know that uh, the orbiting has to have origin, the, the planet will block the starlet, but then you realize that you don't observe that uh, blocking of the starlet, uh, which we can call it a missing transit, then you know that that uh, exoplanet is also uh, not an ordinary exoplanet and maybe could be darker planet. So in some sense, the third way would be missing transit. Okay, so probably in my opinion, this this missing transit probably is the most likely, the probably the best uh, way to search for the dark exoplanet. But on the, at this moment, we don't have too many. Maybe we have like a, only a few observations uh, of a few exoplanets. They have both uh, complete determination of this orbiting information, but uh, but not yet, uh, not but not clear has that been or maybe the the exoplanet mass is too small or the radius is too small such that you, your transient observation has not yet show up, for example. Okay, so the next one, which is page um, 33, the, the last uh, method will be like a transient light curve. You know, since uh, oh, you have the dark exoplanet, they are not totally transparent to light. They're also not totally opaque to light. So they're totally, uh, so maybe there are sets in between. So which is this probably with a, coincidence uh, happening. And then you can define some uh, different uh, trans, um, transmittance for the dark exoplanet uh, and uh, compared to ordinary planet, uh, then you can define some function. Maybe the ordinary planet, let's just um, just uh, say that you have those blue dotted points. Maybe the dark exoplanet is a little bit uh, block less light compared to the ordinary uh, planet. Then you maybe want to do a little bit more detailed data analysis to distinguish that. and. Uh, um, so here, uh, next page, which is 34, we can we don't need to get into those uh, detailed data analysis. But basically, we just uh, choose the two typical exoplanets to to perform a little bit more detailed uh, light curve data analysis to check uh, uh, which hypothesis uh, works works uh, better, whether it's ordinary exoplanet or dark exoplanet works better. Um, but for those two uh, exoplanets choosing here, we found like a um, yeah, it's like ordinary exoplanet that works better. <laughs> uh, and uh, the next slide, which is uh, uh, page thirty-five, and which just give a little bit of contour plot about uh, about this kind of exo dark exoplanet model parameter. One is tau zero, one is rp. Rp is uh, just uh, the radius of the exoplanet um, over the star radius, so define some dimensionless quantity. And in the y-axis, vertical axis is a tau zero, which is how much uh, the uh, light will be blocked by the uh, exoplanet. And uh, when, you, uh, when you have the ordinary planet, you, you, you basically have tau zero to be very large. And uh, as you, this contour basically show, shows that uh, you, you basically prefers to have the ordinary exoplanet explanation for those two specific uh, uh, exoplanet light curves. Um, but on the other hand, you also, especially for the right panel, you also cannot 100% uh, exclude uh, some uh, dark exoplanet explanation. Yeah. But here I, we just uh, use this uh, two exoplanets as one, uh, two examples to show that uh, uh, how we should perform the data analysis, how to take into account uh, some other uh, star properties like uh, uh, dark, uh, darkening effect, for example. and. Uh, um, but in principle, we should, uh, in principle, we should analyze a few thousand uh, uh, exoplanet uh, uh, light curves. But that's a little bit, uh, um, uh, 
a probably that requires some long trivial data analysis method to analyze all of them at, at the same time to see any any exoplanet observed the light curve so they can prefer this kind of dark exoplanet explanation but uh, that's probably wait for future work okay so let me stop here so let me give uh, you guys a little bit um, next slide of 36 and which is uh, some uh, uh, some thing so basically I mainly I want to say that uh, uh, our physicists, uh, particle physicists, um, physicists, we are still trying to understand the nature of dark matter is a fascinating and uh, uh, one type of dark matter candidate uh, I have been working on, which is this uh, microscopic dark matter, and uh, and uh, which it really requires some kind of astrophysical methods to detect, uh, and uh, we have some other ways to detect, uh, which uh, the micro lensing or exoplanet, uh, this type of uh, methods is just one of them. Uh, the current exoplanet maybe can be made of uh, dark matter particles, for example, for some exoplanets. I, I don't think we can exclude that possibility, even though um, personally I think this hypothesis of a dark exoplanet uh, probably is not likely. Why? Because uh, uh, if I'm thinking about uh, some independent dark matter sector, I probably will not anticipate, uh, even though they form some uh, uh, microscopic state, I don't think. Uh, uh, they they will be exactly as our ordinary planet mass radius. Probably that's a little bit of a long trivial coincidence. So because of that, I think the prior um, is not very high. But uh, but I still I feel like uh, as a scientific uh, uh, rigorous, we probably still need, want to um, conduct uh, or throughout the searches to check uh, observe the exoplanets whether whether they're really ordinary exoplanets or not. Okay, let me stop here. Thank you. Um, yeah, wait for your questions. Well, thank you so much uh, for this wonderful presentation, for guiding us through the principles and then, then going into this really um, interesting uh, recent work of yours. Um, it was really wonderful um, to follow along and, and thank you so much for taking the time to explain this. Um, in a way that um yeah we can we can understand your work better so we really appreciate it thank you and um i know gilbert um you posted um a few questions do you want to ask them or do you prefer for me to read them because i don't know maybe you're in a noisy environment oh uh, yeah i don't mind i can i can actually ask them uh, first mm -hmm. off, thank you, Doctor, very much for this fascinating um, topic. Uh, your work is is quite impressive. Um, I had a few questions uh, I wanted to 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 get your your say on. Um, my first question is: Do you think we can actually attribute uh, dark matter to curvature of space time, meaning? You can you can set up uh, specific massive objects uh, in a certain way where they interact together, uh, affecting a certain region between them, uh, creating an extreme curvature that we might observe as as mass, but um, it it simply could be a curvature in space that is causing uh, different objects to move. Um, let's say in an erratical way, or as if they are moving around a massive object. That's my first question. 
Mm, okay, let me answer this question. So actually, the uh, from general relativity, um, when you have the mitre, right, which is here we're talking about the dark matter, and indeed that changes the curvature, changes the space time around that. So in some sense, uh, the dark matter already doing the the specific thing you you were asking. Um, but on the other hand, uh, the dark, the the you cannot have some random curved uh, space time, and uh, because uh, at least we have many uh, very very stringent test of the general relativity, we know that. Uh, uh, there is certain equation for specific equation we have to follow basically, and uh, so what I'm saying is like uh, the dark matter and the um, source the changing and uh, space time following the general relativity. That's uh, that's uh, the um, kind of experimentally tested way. Uh, I'm putting it this way, but indeed you you can almost can think about it like a. Well, yeah, you can say, oh, I don't have a dark matter. I can replace dark matter by the the dark matter effect on the space time change, right? So that that's excellent. Okay, question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I see, I see. And and my second question, it would be a follow up question. Uh, could could the the reason why um, star systems at the edge of galaxies not slowing down be uh, attributed to Maybe um, the the amount of gravitational force that is accumulated throughout the galaxy, meaning could could all the massive objects be interlocked in a specific way, similar to how the moon is interlocked with us, uh, with with the Earth specifically, and this is why everything is kind of dragging everything at the same speeds. Ah. Um, because I, I mean, uh, when we, when we, when we talk about gravity, we, we always talk about how, how gravity falls off, uh, the further we get from the center of the concentration of mass, but we're, we're never really talking about the rest of the massive objects that exist in the galaxy contributing to magnifying the gravitational pull. So everything could be interlocked with each other and they're simply dragging each other together and, and the force is becoming stronger based on how much massive objects there are in, a, in, in any given galaxy specifically. Yeah, very, very good. So first of all, um, I think everything you can think about, everything is locked together in a sense uh, the, then you just change the uh, the system, right? So in the solar system, or in the Earth, like a moon around the Earth, you can think about that is locked locked in system. And similarly, you can think about the stars when we talk about those rotation curves. They are locked together with the galaxy, and uh, so they are just moving around the galaxy. This is a gravitational bounded system, except that there are too, too many objects in the galaxy, right? And to answer your question. I, I'm, I'm saying that uh, even the and uh, let me let me use a different way to, to think about it. Suppose uh, suppose the moon is moving around the Earth, right? Suppose for some reason the moon is uh, moving around the Earth is faster than it should be. Okay, so what yeah. what it should be? The should be is like you know that the total mass of the Earth, right? So let's let's say that you know that, then you use the Newton law to to, to know what is the uh, predicted uh, moon rotating velocity, but uh, suppose you mm -hmm. observe that uh, moon rotating velocity is higher than than it should be, right? So then you probably also will infer there is some large uh, amount of uh, 
matter, at least something, some matter source of gravitational uh, uh, force in between Earth and the Moon. So what I'm saying, those rotation curves has been basically established or or uh, to to give us the evidence of dark matter uh, in, in in this in this way. Yeah, I, I don't know whether you now uh, get a better yes. sense. Uh, yeah, the rotation curves. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Kiko. Did you want to? Yeah. Uh, super cool talk. And I, I have this question that has been like itching at me for like a long time in regards to dark matter. Uh, so like. Um, I think it was on the, the, the like after the, the dark quark slide, uh, where it's something about like uh, like the possibility of dark matter having like energy states. So I was always curious about like, has anybody ever like uh, investigated whether or not like, cause like if you have an energy state, like when that energy state goes like down, it has to release some form of something. And if it doesn't interact with light, I've always kind of wondered like, what's the possibility of like, like, the dark energy actually being the the release of energy from like dark matter when it goes from a higher to a lower energy state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very excellent question. So, um, so how do, how do I say this? Um, so you do have a uh, so this is a related to like a cooling effect. You know, since you want to uh, have some high temperature state, you want to get a lower temperature state, you need to release some energy. And uh, in the uh, for the specific model I'm talking about, the dark QC, uh, QCD model, um, indeed uh, there there are other like dark hydrons. So dark hydron, oh, sorry, let me talk about ordinary hydron. So there there is an so ordinary matter we're probably very familiar with the proton, the neutron, right? Because that's uh, that's ordinary matter. But uh, there is another particle, which is also hydron, called a methane, which is pion. I don't know whether you heard of this this terminology before or not. Um, yeah, I've heard of methane. Okay, you heard of methane, you have pion. So basically, those pions, methanes, they are lighter than baryon, proton, and neutron, they are baryons. And uh, similarly, in the dark QCD model, and there also could be darker methane, and those dark mesons will be potentially the radiation uh, help the system to be cooled down. So that will play a role uh, as a, as like a, when you radiate a light and to cool down, and that will be radiate pion, those dark pion to cool down. So yes, indeed there are some other particles to, to help the system to get into lower, lower energy state, for example. Yeah. Awesome, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for those questions. Um, yeah, I have a few questions regarding more the the exoplanets and um, how they basically would differ. I, I'm sorry if you maybe already explained it and I just didn't. Like, how would the this mass radius that you mentioned uh, relation um, differ between this? dark exoplanets and then regular exoplanets differ and and also other characteristics um how do you think like would they be bigger smaller 
or would they be very similar in in all these right. you know characteristics right. very very like, good very good so yes as, as a, <laughs> yes yeah 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 atmosphere i cannot answer uh but uh, if you look at the page 27 um uh so there is a band of the dark quark lagata just as the example. So probably there are some other uh, microscopic dark matter model. So here you you do you do have some prediction about uh, uh, about uh, uh, the the mass and the radius relation, and, uh, and that uh, depends on the specific dark matter model you will populate into that exoplanet mass and the radius uh, um, uh, plot, right? But in general. In general, the density could be, we, we don't know, we, because we have not fully understand the dark matter uh, particle uh, property yet. So we don't know. And uh, But uh, it could be, uh, I think it could, could work in either way. In, in a sense, the, uh, those dark matter state, they could be more denser than the uh, ordinary matter. The ordinary matter, um, for example, they could be as, uh, Dense as a neutron star and uh, like a nuclear matter, and uh, so they they will populate on the page thirty will be the right uh, lower corner. And uh, if you they are very very dense, extremely dense. If their density is like a nuclear uh, density or neutron star density, and uh, they they will have a for fixed mass, they will have a tiny radius. And uh, so and obviously uh, uh, we at the current moment our Telescope or sensitivity to the exoplanet measurement um, is uh, is a little bit uh, uh, only sensitive to uh, like a Earth radius, Earth mass, or Jupiter uh, mass range. You, you see what I mean? Like uh, we we have not yet uh, uh, be so sensitive to some like a very heavy and also very uh, small uh, radius yet. And uh, uh, but the dark matter uh, states could potentially populate. Uh, uh, in the right uh, lower corner, and as well as the, lower, uh, the left uh, upper corner. And uh, but then you ask me, what is the specific prediction for the uh, for the dark uh, uh, states? Uh, I cannot answer that question because uh, I don't have any other measured data to even even though if it's dark QCD, I cannot fix what is the the generic scale in the dark QCD yet at this moment. And uh, uh, but that uh, situation maybe will be changed in, I don't know how many years later, if we discover the particle property of dark matter, and then we will know more detail and uh, how, how, how those objects are formed. Uh, yeah. Yeah, thank you. And do you, do you have predictions on where maybe, for example, in the galaxy or even solar system, what type of solar systems regions would be more likely to um to have ex like dark exoplanets or do you think it's just as you know distributed like um the exoplanets we can we can see and measure uh okay very very, very good so uh to answer i think in general um you the most like one possibility is like the dark uh, exoplanet they are floating floating which means they are not bounded by any uh, solar any star any ordinary star uh, so that is, that one if that is the case then you just uh, use the microlensing method to detect 
And even for ordinary exoplanet, people also are looking for this kind of free floating exoplanet using microlensy method. So that is one possibility. Uh, another possibility is uh, uh, when people trying to understand the uh, large scale structure, which is uh, like uh, understand the galaxy formation, star formation, and for example, star formation, um, especially there are some other, uh, what they call the pop three stars, which is the earliest star, but we don't have the uh, current observation of the that type of star. But for some earlier from the stars, for example, uh, because of the star formation, you can think about there is a bunch of uh, uh, gas cloud. They are become heavy and heavy, so they are gravitational clubs to form stars. And uh, during that process, they also have a gravitation. They provide a gravitational well, so they are, can also attract the dark matter. And uh, as a, as a result, uh, uh, some star form uh, formation period, they maybe can can attract some dark uh, dark objects around that. And uh, uh, as a result, uh, after they form stars, then the uh, darker, uh, let's say darker planets, they maybe will be bounded by that uh, uh, star system. So that is one possible one possible ways for those uh, uh, dark exoplanets to be moving around the star. Uh, but at this moment, we don't have a, a kind of a, a detailed calculation to estimate what is the probability for for the for this type of uh, uh, bounded binary system, for example. Uh, we 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 uh, probably that require more study along this direction and uh, uh, and also in, in conjunction to uh, star formation, for example, it's a little bit more involved uh, 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 physics calculation, for example. Yeah, yeah, I cannot provide an answer at this moment. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I I I I believe I just wanted to, you know, the, the know what the theory is because yeah, yeah. we had actually a guest speaker here last week that talked about the theory about dark matter density spikes around uh, massive right. uh, black holes. So that's why I thought maybe there's also a theory, you know, to predict basically um, these type of exoplanets. Yeah, or I, I think there is some possibility, yeah. yes, but uh, the detailed answer we, we people has not yet worked out yet. Yeah, to be worked out, I guess. Yeah, that makes it so interesting, right? Because we don't know too much about it. And um, do you think, are there any future technology developments that you would wish or people are working for that will make the detection maybe? Um, better easier or you know a little bit um less challenging i don't know if you can say that but mm -hmm. is, there, yeah, is yeah. there anything that's being worked on um we do have a few ongoing exoplanets uh, uh telescopes and uh uh i think at the current moment is this kind of jwst and uh, james webb's a telescope probably the uh and uh, but also there are some other like a uh, Gaia and uh, uh which uh, like what I would say that that would be a very good uh, ways to search for some missing transit um but uh, but somehow I, I I don't know any other like a uh, order of magnitude improve and uh, for example you you order of magnitude you can 
detect something like even um, like a one tenth of the Earth mass uh, exoplanet, for example. So that one I'm not a I'm not a um, I'm not a yeah I'm not aware of any big uh, another big telescope for, uh, to detect uh, uh, much lighter uh, yeah dark ex uh, uh, or exoplanets. Um, so, but uh, but on the other hand, I think that currently there should be more data coming from the James Webb's uh, space telescope. And uh, so again, that uh, that already the spectroscopy information for some exoplanets that already can tell us a lot. So, so probably I, 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 for the near future, <laughs> that's that's already pretty pretty good thing <laughs> to to work on. Yeah, it will probably generate a, a lot of data. How do you, do you and your colleagues like go through all this data that's probably generated? Are you going, going to use like AI tools and things like that to help with the processing of all the data? Or is it still something that is too uh, specific and not enough data available to train systems like this yeah very very good so we i i think the at the current moment i i i don't have the plan to do that because i'm, I'm not an expert on machine learning um on the other hand i have a one new graduate student and uh, he is uh, very into machine learning for physics and uh uh, so he's uh, having starts to have some. So I start to learn some uh, machine learning um, techniques, and uh, uh, but probably I need a, at some point to know the capability of the machine learning tool AI tools to to say they can be applied to to analyzing those like a few thousand uh, exo planet data, right? So, uh, but uh, but I'm I'm very interested to see that if that can be done. <laughs> that would be that would be very interesting the uh, in some uh, yeah but uh, uh, but uh, to me yeah from the example two exoplanets we worked on uh yeah we we do think that uh, definitely you need some uh, non-trivial machine learning tools to help uh, for this specific uh, search and uh, yeah yeah I believe that it's a very specific you know data that needs to be trained and probably in the beginning will be a lot of work later on then mm. I, I don't know does it make sense because and will the theory maybe still a lot of factors or theory parts change see, see. so you yes, would yes. need to keep training it differently so it wouldn't make too much sense in the beginning yeah i have not yes i see, I see me yeah i have not put too much thoughts um but indeed there are some uh uh, model parameters because uh, uh, when you especially for light curve, how the orbiting even you describe orbiting is already like a few parameters to describe the inclination angle and uh, the uh, how circular of the orbiting and also those stars they have their intrinsic property. So instance there is this uh, uh, so called uh, limb darkening effect and uh, so then you also need to model that. Uh, so so probably you have order time parameters to model the system, and then you want to search for the light curve difference for one hypothesis, another hypothesis. Then you need to probably also minimize in terms of those uh, uh, time parameter, uh, time parameters uh, space, 
And you also want to do that for a few thousand uh, exoplanet light curves. And each light curve, you probably have a, a few hundred uh, points. But on top of that, there is another thing is that, uh, when people talk about those light curves, so that's uh, many, many cycles, many, many circle uh, orbiting orbits. And you also need to, need to find uh, some uh, clever way to, uh, to fold those uh, many orbits together into this kind of uh, one cycle uh, light curve. Even that one, I think uh, only recently I saw, maybe in the last two years I saw in, in the literature, people start to use some machine learning tools to do that uh, uh, folding of uh, uh, orbits of light curves. So, so because of that, I would guess probably, yeah, maybe, may, maybe it's, uh, yeah, maybe in the next few years, maybe, maybe this can be done. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I'm really looking forward to, um, to the future. And I wanted to check with you because we've been going for an hour and a half. You're probably getting tired <laughs> of speaking. Um, and um, yeah, I wanted to make sure that we don't uh, take more, uh, like too much time of your day. So um, yeah, thank you so much for explaining, uh, you know, your work um, and also the principles behind it so well. And for answering so many questions, I this was a really interesting talk and discussion, and I'm really looking forward to the future because there are so many unknowns, and um, it's really uh, exciting because so many every, you know everyday things we know a lot about, and and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a, a true new frontier. So thank you for sharing that with us and. And yeah, we wish you all the best for the future. And we are curious to follow your research. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, nice to chat with you guys. Okay. Yeah, thank Bye. you. And thanks, everyone. It was an honor, doctor. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for all the questions. And um, yeah, I hope to hear you all soon and maybe also uh, we um, we get to yeah invite you back maybe next year or so so yeah all the best and thank you everyone wherever you are enjoy the rest of your day morning evening and um, yeah um, I'm closing the room in three two one bye thank everyone you. thank you